Jeff, I think the main thing is that the worst is yet to come, my friends. And I think everything you've seen in South Africa until now is really just light entertainment. I think the next 10 years is going to be rough. And I must tell you, Jeff, I want to say for the record that I think 2007, 2008 will be watershed years in the history of South Africa because from this time onwards, we are taking a new path and the path from here onwards is going to be downwards even faster than anything we've had until now. From the Jeff Nyquist Studios on California's North Coast and our flagship broadcast facilities at WIBG 1020, you're listening to the Jeff Nyquist Radio Show. Welcome to the show. I'm Jeff Nyquist, the host of the Jeff Nyquist Program. And uh, and I, I, I was just thinking that uh, more than 20 years ago now, well, 20 years ago, Ronald Reagan was president of the United States. 20 years ago, we were supporting... Jonas Savimbi and Unita in Angola. We were uh, supporting the Mujahideen in Afghanistan. We were fighting the Russian enemy, the foe in the Cold War, on different fronts. Gorbachev was talking to Reagan. And uh, now, after 20 years, we've gone through the cycle where supposedly communism has been defeated. But we see countries one after the other, like Venezuela and Congo and, and Angola, where the communists have won. And we see in Afghanistan, American troops are fighting in Afghanistan instead of Russian troops. Things have gone through a reversal, and it's a very curious reversal. And in South Africa, perhaps the most strategic country in Africa, country filled with mineral resources, strategic minerals that are needed for making jet fighters and advanced missiles. You've got gold there and diamonds there. That's a country where the ANC has taken power and and the ANC is a communist-influenced, communist-infiltrated political party. And today's guest, Jan Lamprecht, is going to join us and talk to us about the politics of South Africa and what's happened there. So join me after this break with my guest, Jan Lamprecht. We'll be right back. You're listening to the Jeff Nyquist Radio Show with your host, Jeff Nyquist. WIBG 1020, live, local radio for Atlantic City, Cape May, and all of South Jersey. All right, it was one side kick, they blooped it, but the Vikings right there to feel it. I think it takes guts to come out like you are doing right now. And if all of us will listen to this station more, I'm just so keyed up about it. We talked about it by the hour. We are going to pursue this until we're satisfied. WIBG 1020, on your radio, online, or on your cellular. WIBG 1020, we're everywhere. You're listening to the Jeff Nyquist Radio Show with your host, Jeff Nyquist. With me is my guest, Jan Lemprecht from South Africa. He has uh, been running AfricaCrisis.org website and has got a new uh, addition to that, AfricaCrisis.co.za, or ZA, as they say in South Africa. Welcome to the show, Jan. Hi there, Jeff. By the way, it's not Africa Crisis, it's African Crisis. All right, africancrisis.co.za. Yes. yes. 
you know, in the United States, we see uh, sort of signs of decline, and in Europe, there are certain signs of decline. The dollar is declining, for example. There's new unemployment statistics. There's problems now. And in South Africa, you guys have been in a prolonged economic crisis and, and decline of your society, your economy, um, and you've been on the show talking about this again. What is it fundamentally that's going wrong with your society that, that may be going wrong with ours? Is it the case that uh, the leadership is corrupt or adopting the wrong principles? Is it true that the ANC is controlled by the communists and that they're introducing gradualized socialism that's paralyzing the society? I mean, maybe you could enlighten us on that. Okay. There's many issues, but I suppose the core issue goes back to the original thing that the ANC stood for, which was socialism. But there is also... Um, it, it gets a bit more subtle because President Thabo Mbeki, who currently rules the country, was not part of the actual struggle. He wasn't like on the front line, so to speak, of the war. He actually spent his time in England and in Europe. So he seems to have a somewhat more moderate approach or a more subtle approach to ruling South Africa than the ANC originally um, intended. And... President Mbeki, well, we've speculated, some of us, that, that he probably has some kind of intelligence links to uh, the West. And that's why he's progressed quite slowly and in a, in a subtle way here in South Africa. But despite this, there is the issue of the communists and the role that they play in this country. And it came to the fore in the last two years with a very strange series of incidents. What basically happened was uh, there was a trial of a Muslim guy called Shabir Sheikh. And this guy was on trial for corruption. And part of this trial exposed his links to the then deputy president of South Africa, a Zulu called Jacob Zuma. And the moment when Shabir Sheikh was found guilty of corruption... The very next day, President Mbeki fired Jacob Zuma. Now, this was a very strange event because it caught the whole ANC structure by surprise. Let me explain how the ANC actually functions in South Africa. There is a thing called the Tripartite Alliance. And the Tripartite Alliance is an alliance of the South African Communist Party, the African National Congress, and the and COSATU, which is the Congress of South African Trade Unions. These three bodies work together under the label of the Tripartite Alliance. And the ANC is like the political extension of this group. And so this group is heavily dominated by leftist trade unionists and communists. And when the ANC takes part in elections, there are people from the South African Communist Party who actually stand for election under the ANC banner. Now, the way this group works is it's almost like the Soviet Union in the sense that the Communist Party of the Soviet Union decides the policy and then it implements the policy through, through the government. And that's how South Africa worked under the ANC, which is basically that the Tripartite Alliance gets together, they decide policy, and then the ANC goes and implements the policy in Parliament. And when... President Mbeki fired Jacob Zuma. He did it without consulting anybody else in the Tripartite Alliance, and it caused considerable consternation. 
Let me um, go over what you just said and recap it for the listeners. Um, basically, the political system in South Africa now works as a tripartite alliance of the South African Communist Party, the ANC, and CUSARTO, which is the trade unions in the country, or certain trade unions, and that they decide policy in the country. And uh, politicians are under a kind of discipline that they must do what the party says. So it works like a one-party state, in other words. Exactly, exactly. South Africa is basically a one-party state. And then what happened was, with this firing of Jacob Zuma, you then had a, a kind of a split that occurred in the party. And it's a very interesting split because it highlights this tripartite alliance, and I'll demonstrate to you how extremely powerful they are. When President Mbeki suddenly fired Jacob Zuma, that kicked off a whole bunch of things because suddenly everybody in the tripartite alliance stood up and said, but hold on a second, you are supposed to consult us, and you didn't. But now, I mean, in any other country, President Mbeki would have been the president, and he's allowed to do that. He doesn't have to ask anybody any permission. So he is starting to do something different. Now, when I wrote my book, Government by Deception, back in 2001, I mentioned an interesting scenario that a, a professor, an Afrikaans professor at the Rand Afrikaans University mentioned to me. He told me once that when we were negotiating with the ANC, he happened to meet Joe Slovo, who was high up in the Communist Party. In fact, he ran the South African Communist Party for many decades. And he was reputed to have the rank of uh, a colonel in the KGB. Now, Joe Slovo later became the Minister of Housing, and, he died, and then he died of cancer. This professor told me that back in about 1993 or thereabouts, he had a discussion with Joe Slovo one day when they were um, at one of these conferences. And he said to Joe Slovo, what will the Communist Party do if the ANC ever tries to break away from it? And Joe Slovo said to him that he's convinced that the blacks of South Africa, the masses, um, are sold on socialism as being a quick fix. And that if, in the event, the, the ANC tries to break away from the Communist Party, then all the Communist Party will have to do is register for the elections as a separate political party. And he believed that the Communist Party would be able to defeat the ANC in a straight election. Hmm. So when Mbeki fired Zuma, it started coming out in the media that Zuma is really a far leftist. In fact, even the media and the rest of the world, even Time magazine and, and such magazines, have noted that Jacob Zuma, uh, when, he, when he gives speeches and things, he sings a song called Umshini Wami, which is basically translated as, bring me my machine gun. So Jacob Zuma is a leftist, he's, he's a populist, and the Communist Party was quick to rally to his support. And initially, there was a lot of discussion in the South African Communist Party about going it alone. The discussion was they should, they should register for elections and go it alone. And then one day, the general secretary of Kosatu made an interesting speech. And, and he said that the people in Kosatu should just take back the ANC. 
And that's a very powerful statement because, you see, Kosatu is the trade union movement, and the trade union movement is extremely powerful. A, a former military intelligence officer that I knew, Dr. Chris Yordan, he used to describe the tripartite alliance as follows. He used to say that the Communist Party are the brains, the ANC is the mouth, and Kosatu is the hand. Kosatu is the organization that makes things happen at, the, at a ground level. And so Mr. Varvi, the general secretary of Kosatu, he said that they should take back the ANC. And that was basically an order to his millions of followers to start getting into the politics. And then there was a period of, of a lot of quiet in the sense that Nothing much seemed to be happening on the side of the communists and Kosatu. But from Mbeki's side, strange things were happening. When Jacob Zuma got out of the corruption trial, the corruption trial was thrown out of court. The next thing was he seemed to be lured into a rape situation by a woman who seemed to have been paid money to lure him into this. He survived his rape trial. And then in December of last year, Everything came to a head because the ANC had its Congress and they had an election and elected the leader of the ANC. Now, in South Africa, because we're basically a one-party state, when they get together and they elect the leader of the ANC, they are, in fact, already telling you who's going to be the next president. So in December of 2007, they got together and Several thousand candidates uh, from the various ANC, Kusatu, and other branches got together, and they had an election. And everybody was completely stunned by the outcome, because Jacob Zuma came out with a majority, and he totally slaughtered President Mbeki. It left President Mbeki reeling. And I heard from other friends, some of whom have uh, intelligence connections, as, as well as there were certain reports in the media that indicated that as soon as Jacob Zuma's people had infiltrated and taken out um, and, and defeated President Mbeki at that election, they immediately started engaging in a quiet but massive purge all across the ANC, all across government structures, even in municipal structures. They've been throwing people out. It's been happening very quietly, but it's been happening on a massive scale. So what we've seen in the last two years are these two factions, the sort of slightly pro-Western faction of President Mbeki fighting this hard-left faction of Jacob Zuma, and the, the hard-left have won hands down. Hmm, that's interesting. So the communists are reasserting their control over the ANC, and, and, of course, if, if Mbeki was uh, in the pay of Western intelligence, whether that was the CIA or, or MI6, uh, uh, then, uh, then they've, they're definitely going to purge whatever agents or whatever uh, allies he has in the government and in the party. Exactly. And you know what? He, even though he was trying to be sort of pro-Western, he wasn't succeeding even before then because... It came out in various reports that although President Mbeki has been running the country um, somewhat along Western lines in, in the eight years that he's been president, in the last three, 
even he has been quietly moving the country more and more towards socialism, but it's not been widely advertised. And uh, you just sent me a news item recently about how the mineral rights or the mining rights in South Africa are going over to the government and that private enterprise may not be able to have a free hand for long in that country. Yes, basically they've been talking about it for a couple of years and they kicked off the process in 2004, but now this year it's going to happen. Basically what it is, uh, remember the communists a long time ago said that they wanted to go after the mineral wealth of South Africa. Now what the ANC has in fact done is they've said uh, because in, a, in legal terms in South Africa, I don't know how it works in America, but in legal terms in South Africa, even if you own a piece of land and that land has got gold or diamonds on it, you don't have mining rights. And what the ANC has done is even though in the past, through normal legal processes, I mean, remember, many of these mines have existed for decades. So those mines have in the past acquired legally the, the mineral rights to mine where they are mining now. But what the ANC is about to do is it's about to make all mineral rights null and void, and the, the mines will have to reapply for the mineral rights on the land where they're currently mining. And then the ANC will decide who is going to get it. And with, uh, with uh, the mineral wealth of South Africa, diamonds and gold and uh, special uh, metals, uh, gold, the yeah, platinum gold, gold has gone over nine hundred dollars an ounce. So these mines are extremely uh, wealthy, extreme potential for generating a revenue. Let me let me tell you, um, platinum is almost twice the price of gold, and it's been shooting up at the same pace as gold. So hmm. the, the platinum mines are making tons of money as well. So this is a a big play on the part of the government, and, and is this then related to the communists asserting their power over the ANC? It is, so the country is, is moving towards nationalization? It's moving towards a, a, a more of a communist system than economically? Yes, and you know what? Even the foreign investors have, be, have been very jittery, Jeff, because probably a year and a half ago, when Jacob Zuma started coming into the news and people started realizing what Jacob Zuma really was like. You know, many people in Zimbabwe even describe Jacob Zuma as the Robert Mugabe of South Africa, and I think that's a pretty good description of him. Um, you know, when foreign investors started watching this battle between Zuma and Mbeki, when they saw that Zuma was starting to get the upper hand, you could see the rand started falling, there was panic, and then President Mbeki did a very interesting thing, and he did it twice. He did it twice last year. He actually issued a statement from the ANC, and the statement said, the ANC is not a socialist party, and he issued that twice. Hmm. And I wondered why he issued it, because it's a very strange thing to say, because the ANC has always been for socialism because of its alliance with the Communist Party. It's never, uh, it's never hidden the fact that at its original roots that it was socialist. But um, I think that Mbeki was trying to preserve South Africa's image to some degree. But I think he's failed. And now, um, since the election of Jacob Zuma, I heard that in December alone, 
uh, 12.5 billion rands worth of foreign investment pulled out of the country in one month. And since then, uh, the rand has been collapsing. We've also had a lot of electricity problems. At the moment, there is the biggest confidence crisis we've had in a very, very long time, since 1994, I would say. With me is Jan Lamprecht of AfricaCrisis.org and AfricanCrisis.co.za. Sorry, both of them are African. Oh, both of them are African. Oh, AfricanCrisis.org and AfricanCrisis.co.za. And uh, we'll be back with our guest, Jan Lamprecht, after these messages. You're listening to the Jeff Nyquist Radio Show with your host, Jeff Nyquist. At 10.20 a.m. or WIBG.com, we're the area's first choice for Christian news talk and a whole lot more. WIBG 10.20, on your radio, online, or on your cellular. WIBG 10.20, we're everywhere. You're listening to the Jeff Nyquist Radio Show. All right, we're back. I'm Jeff Nyquist, and with me is my guest, Jan Lamprecht. Uh, Jan is uh, the author of the book Government by Deception, and he has been following the the advance of socialism in South Africa and in Africa in general. He's been analyzing for us what's gone on inside the ANC, the ruling party of South Africa, and of course describing South Africa as a one-party state. Wouldn't it be fair to say it's it's a proto-totalitarian state? It's, a, it's sort of like incubating and it's becoming a totalitarian state and almost inevitably. Yes. You know, the ANC isn't as feared in South Africa as Robert Mugabe is in Zimbabwe. But I must tell you something, Jeff. When Jacob Zuma started becoming the leader of the ANC, you could see a whole different vibe, if I can call it that, that took hold of the ANC. There were government ministers, members of parliament, who were on President Mbeki's side all along, and they were literally begging to to um, become Jacob Zuma's friend, and Jacob Zuma was just kicking them aside. And there is a real fear that has seems to have gripped the ANC since Jacob Zuma came in. He's, he strikes me as a guy who means business. President Mbeki has been a soft, wishy-washy, waffling kind of a guy who, when, he, when he's faced with a problem, he prefers to just hide away and not say much about it. Jacob Zuma is a whole different ball game. He's a guy who, who seems to have almost a, a sort of a Hitlerite um, type of appeal to the masses. Uh, this, this song that he keeps singing whenever, he's, whenever he addresses them, you know, he's, he's a whole different kettle of fish. And he's, he's very strong on his Zulu culture. Now, the ANC is largely dominated by the Khoza tribe, but the Zulus are really warriors, and there aren't many Zulus in high positions in the ANC and Zuma is the highest-ranking Zulu. So he brings with him that warrior culture type thing that he's quite proud of. Uh, tell, tell us about this song. that You said he sings a song? Yes. You see, uh, a, a long time ago, I put up a, a video. I don't know if I ever told you about it, 
but it was, it's a video called The Songs They Sing. Now, in Africa, songs are a very important part of African, of black African life. And communists in, in Rhodesia, Robert Mugabe's people, for example, they employ songs as a way of spreading a political message. And what they used to do in, in Rhodesia was when, the, when these terrorists, when these insurgents go to, to villages and they want to indoctrinate them with communism, they come and they make them sing songs. But these songs have got a political message. These songs are maybe anti-white, they're maybe pro-communist, and that sort of, sort of thing. In Rhodesia, they call these songs Chimurenga songs. And, in fact, the soldiers even used to use uh, these songs. You know, when soldiers of the Rhodesian army were watching a village and they were hiding away nearby, they would listen at night. And if they hear these Chimurenga songs, then they know there must be terrorists, you know, there must be communist terrorists present. Now, in South Africa, the ANC also makes use of songs. And somebody actually compiled a DVD a while back, which I put on my website, and I think people have even put it onto YouTube. And it's called The Songs They Sing. And it's about the songs, it's, it's video footage from the past, showing even people like Nelson Mandela singing songs where they sing about killing white people. So songs are a powerful way of uh, getting a political message across. Now, there is a song that Jacob Zuma sings, which in its strictest translation is, Bring Me My Machine. It's, it's a strange kind of a thing to sing about because it, it makes no sense, but Many people say that what this really means is bring me my machine gun. And he sings this song whenever he has political rallies. Hmm. So it's, a, it's almost an incitement to violence. It's, uh, yeah. And it is a Nazi-like slogan. I remember uh, the quote from the Nazi culture minister that, that, he heard, that he said that whenever he hears the word culture, he pulls out his revolver and pulls the hammer back on it. Um, there is a, a a kind of mentality that believes in the use of brute force as being the ultimate uh, uh, court of appeal in all issues. Um, that that really culture is nonsense, and and a lot of politics is nonsense. And let's just uh, kill the people we don't like and run things the way we want to. Now in South Africa, you've heard of them chanting things like "Kill the farmer, kill the boer." you know, one boer, one bullet, that kind of thing. You know, mm -hmm. that kind of talk is talk that the ANC engaged in even after they came to power, you know, and there's no need for them to be saying these things. So let me just point out another thing. In African culture, there's also the issue that their leaders will say one thing when they're giving a speech in English. But when they're giving a speech in their own language, they'll say something quite different. And the communists employed this a lot. All the liberation movements use this. And what kind of things do they say in their own languages? In, in their own languages, those few whites who understand uh, will tell you that they say some pretty nasty things. The blacks knowingly play a game where they hide their real feelings. And you'll sometimes hear leaders of the ANC, Jacob Zuma, makes a lot of use of it, where he says, our members must be disciplined. And they keep emphasizing this, this issue of discipline. 
that the the masses must only do that which the leaders tell them to do. Mm-hmm. And so, if I look at it carefully, and I've noticed it with blacks that I've tried to talk to as well, if you try and engage them in certain kinds of conversation like this, the blacks will suddenly go quiet and they'll stop talking to you. There, there are things that I think that the blacks, as a mass, hide from whites. And now and then, when one of them really trusts you, they'll come out and they'll say something. Like um, in, in my book, Government by Deception, I mentioned that one day a, an old guy who was, who was helping my mom in the garden, he, he told her the one day that on the talk radio stations in Soweto, the blacks were talking about the day when they live in our houses the day when they take over everything that we have. Mm-hmm. But if you try and engage most blacks in that discussion and you ask them about that, then they'll deny it all. You know. Mm. So it's, it, there's a real racial divide that remains and there's, uh, the, the blacks in the country feel entitled to take the property of the white people in the country. They used to have a name for it. It's called Uhuru. They believe that there's this day that will come when they get everything that is, that's ours. In fact, before the 1994 election, there were many instances where blacks just walking along the street would suddenly walk into some white person's house and suddenly just start looking around. And then the white person would say to the, to the, to the black, um, what are you doing here? And they'd say, no, I'm coming to have a look at this house because, you know, I want this house when the ANC takes over. Hmm. And they believed that they were all going to get these free houses. But now deep down, Jacob Zuma is a populist, and he's talking communism. He's, he's awakening that desire, you know, that hope for the final revolution now when they finally get everything. And that's, that's mass appropriations, not just nationalizing the property, but taking the things that belong to the middle class especially the white middle class in the country. Yes, this is like what Robert Mugabe did with the farm. And how many farmers, white farmers, are left in Zimbabwe now? Well, the last I heard out of the original 4,400 is that only 300 are left farming. And even among those 300, they've been taking farms in recent months. That's more than 90% of the white farmers forced off their land. So these people just lost everything and, and were pushed out of the country, I presume? Yeah, many of them had to leave because they had no other way to live. Others have been living in poverty. There are others who managed to get some of their assets out, and they now live in the towns and the cities. But many fled the country. Some went to other countries and tried to create a life for themselves there. There was the story of a hundred, a hundred wealthy uh, Zimbabwean farmers who went to the neighboring country of Zambia and they got land there on a 99-year lease, and they were so successful that the whole country of Zambia had a boom, Hmm. and their whole agricultural output doubled overnight. But what happens in a lot of these black countries is then jealousy and stuff starts kicking in, and the last I heard, they were being taxed heavily. Hmm. So they they want a a part of it. and So so then Zimbabwe's state is grown ever more miserable if they've lost the most productive part of their economy. The country's been imploding at such a rate that the American ambassador predicted that by December 2007, that the inflation rate would be 100,000%. Mm-hmm. 
Now, he wasn't quite right, but he was close. I think the last I heard, somebody estimated it to be about Mm 20,000%. The economy has imploded to such a degree. Much of the black population now lives in South Africa. There are Zimbabweans everywhere in South Africa. They are here by the million. But what I do have a problem with, Jeff, are the assessments of your government. You know, sometimes I think that those people have their heads in the clouds. The, the American ambassador said that the Zimbabwean economy was going to implode and that he basically expected regime change as a result of total economic collapse. But as you and I know, there is no communist on earth who ever lost power just because the country imploded economically. In fact, when the country is at its most impoverished state is when the government seems to have its greatest power. Exactly. And Jeff, over there in Zimbabwe, Robert Mugabe is 100% in power. And there are people who live in some kind of daydream world, all these Western analysts. And what's, what's that company? I think it's called Stratfor. Oh, yes, yeah, Stratfor. I've met some of their analysts, actually, at, uh, at meetings. Now, I've seen some of the assessments by these Stratfor people where they say, oh, there could be a coup inside Mugabe's party and all that. And it's just total rubbish, Jeff. Hmm. Um, a friend of mine, I don't know if you know Kevin Woods. No, I, I don't know. Okay, Kevin Woods was a Rhodesian policeman who joined the CIO, the Central Intelligence Organization, in Rhodesia. And then when Robert Mugabe took over, this white guy stayed on. And later on, he became the head of the CIO for the whole province of Matabeleland, which, is, which makes up about half of Zimbabwe. Kevin Woods ended up in jail for 20 years, but it was because of the things that he did. Now, Kevin Woods, at one point, was busy working as a double agent for South Africa, and that's actually why he was sentenced to death. But Kevin Woods was involved in investigating the genocide that took place in Zimbabwe when Robert Mugabe was murdering his opposition. Kevin Woods personally went to the scenes of executions and murders, and he personally even briefed Robert Mugabe himself. Now, Kevin Woods eventually managed to get out of jail last year, and Kevin Woods and I have talked many times about the situation in Zimbabwe now. And you must know he's talking as a former insider, probably the white man who reached the highest rank in intelligence in Zimbabwe ever. And he says to me that you can totally forget any chance whatsoever of any kind of coup or anything like that against Robert Mugabe. In fact, he has an interesting prediction. He says that if in the event of Robert Mugabe not being able to cheat his way successfully through an election, he believes that the generals in the Zimbabwean army will then stage a coup to put Robert Mugabe back in power. And he gives his reasons for that. And I think Kevin Woods' assessment um, is 100% on the money. And these people in Stratfor, I think these people are living in a daydream world. Interesting. You know, Robert Mugabe and his CIO aren't that stupid. The CIO are capable of a lot of deception, and they put out lots of disinformation. And for years, they've been putting out stories about Robert Mugabe being on the edge of death and 
this person being ready to take over and that colonel being about to overthrow the country and all that kind of stuff. And every one of those stories has turned out to be total rubbish. So these stories are fed to... Yes, uh, to the... I'm, I'm quite sure they are, Jeff. Robert Mugabe is not stupid, and the guys in the CIO get a lot of money, and these guys know how to play the game. Huh, and almost every single American assessment about Zimbabwe has been proven to be wrong. And uh, I, as an analyst myself, watching the assessments of Russia, China, uh, major powers, and the Middle Eastern countries, I just see the same sort of thing repeated over and over. It seems like there's an intellectual blindness in, in America, and I think in Europe too, that's colored by an ideology that we don't even acknowledge as an ideology, a natural belief that we know things that we really don't know. Yes. Jeff, these people forget how deceptive some of these guys can be. Yeah. And you, you know, in the days even of terrorists, when, when they were busy staging terrorist things here in South Africa and so forth, the ANC had a policy that, you know, if they see a American or European journalist, you know, they have got guys that they've coached up front with a story. And when he sees a journalist with a camera, he runs up to the journalist and he tells us his prepared story. Hmm. And these people think, ah, oh, here are a bunch of, what, black savages. You know, they, they've got no IQ and they, they're just talking out of their hearts, you know. They, hmm. they can't imagine that these people are actually more cunning and have prepared a trap for them, and they just eat it up. Yeah, it's the same thing with uh, Russia and China to some extent. Uh, with me is Jan Lamprecht. He has uh, been running AfricanCrisis.org for quite a few years now, and he's got a new additional site, AfricanCrisis.co.za. And uh, we'll be back with Jan after these messages. You're listening to the Jeff Nyquist Radio Show with your host, Jeff Nyquist. On air or online, we're Life Radio 1020 WIBG. Christian news talk with purpose and passion from early in the morning. Now in life, you're allowed to support whoever you want, but in partisan politics, there are rules. To Grossman Afternoons. Someone suspects they're an illegal immigrant. The cop is more afraid of arresting them than of letting them go. Chuck Betson Sports Saturdays. That's how you're battling it. Yeah, not, I like that. We're not going to ignore it. And Dan Klein, South Jersey Insider. I think that's more than reasonable. I certainly, you know, we're talking about 12 $12 million here. I don't think any reasonable person would blame you one bit. WIBG 1020, the area's first choice, plugging you into life. I'm Jeff Nyquist. We're back with my guest, Jan Lamprecht from AfricanCrisis.org and AfricanCrisis.co.za. And um, we've been talking about the the way in which Western analysts have got it so wrong in South Africa, how many miscalculations have been made. And, and really, the, the coming to power of the ANC, uh, the coming to power of Mugabe, were things that the West pushed for. Really, these were, these were things that, that couldn't have happened without the United States and Britain pushing for them. And, and they were disastrous, weren't they? Yes, totally, Jeff. I mean, the standard of living of black and white people throughout the region has taken a hit, hasn't it? Jeff, in the last 20 years, I mean, even the UN and all sorts of various non-governmental organizations have said how poor the blacks have become. There was a 
report issued by the South African Institute of Race Relations, which is known for its liberal, neutral type of stand, they said that the poor blacks, poverty among the poor has doubled since 1994 when the ANC came to power. And, and you know, with the minute that gets into the press, and I mean the, the South African Institute of Race Relations have got the statistics and the studies, et cetera, to back up the statement, you know, the ANC goes on the warpath and it quickly poo-poos everything and tries to pretend that it's not so and that kind of thing. But everywhere in Southern Africa, the standard of living and, and the economies of Southern Africa have been going down for the last 20 years. And then you get countries like Zimbabwe that are imploding. And I must tell you, Jeff, I want to say for the record that I think 2007, 2008 will be watershed years in the history of South Africa because from this time onwards, we are taking a new path and the path from here onwards is going to be downwards even faster than anything we've had until now. In fact, the last the last couple of years we can say were relatively good given what the ANC is, but what's lying ahead is really scary. I mean, this year we had the implosion of our electricity grid. Last year, for the first time ever, we had a week in Johannesburg where we had no fuel. What do you mean, no no fuel? You mean no gasoline? Yes. For a week, we had a total panic throughout the country. I can't remember what caused it, but it was a complete panic because oil refineries had been shut down and there was all kinds of chaos that was going on and we were without gasoline for a week. I was driving around Johannesburg looking for petrol stations that, that had any petrol left. For a couple of days, we were like Zimbabwe was. Hundreds of people converge on a single um, petrol station and we queue there for, for an hour or two to get the last fuel before the tanks are empty. Now, um, the black masses in the country that make up the majority, the voting majority, they've got to have at least noticed that life is getting worse under the ANC uh, government. Uh, is it really the case that the ANC is able to spin these obvious results, economic results, uh, and blame someone else? You see, there are different aspects to this. The blacks have a loyalty to the ANC because they feel that this is their creation. So there are many blacks, even for years now, you'll, you'll come across blacks who will complain about the ANC. But when it comes to voting and election time, uh, despite their complaints, they will still carry on voting for the ANC. What has happened on one or two occasions was that there were blacks who, rather than voting against the ANC, they would just not vote at all. And in South Africa, there are a, a number of small political parties, especially the official opposition, which is a sort of a white, liberal-dominated party. And all these other parties have hoped that the blacks would at least start voting for them. But what has actually happened is when the blacks are unhappy with the ANC, they rather don't vote for the ANC, but they won't vote for anyone else either. Hmm. You know, Jeff, it's a case of who's more insane, the ANC or the masses. You know, the ANC and the SACP ran around this country for decades preaching Marxism, telling them that socialism is a quick fix. These masses believe this. 
They actually believe it. Let me tell you something about the South African Communist Party. Liberal commentators on South Africa will often refer to the South African Communist Party in derogatory terms. They'll say they're just a bunch of old Bolsheviks. They're, they're, you know, they're living in the 1920s. If you speak to blacks, as I did when I wrote my book, you will see that among black people, the Communist Party is regarded in high esteem. The Communist Party is regarded as more reliable and more trustworthy than the ANC. And that is why the communists, if they so chose, they could take the ANC on man for man and beat them in an election. I believe they would win. And, and this explains why Jacob Zuma is really going to come to power and why he is able to purge the ANC. Yes. And there's another guy who's also risen along with Jacob Zuma because Mbeki has been trying to use the, uh, an elite police unit called the Scorpions. He's been trying to use them to get all the dirty can on Zuma to make it impossible for Zuma to, to actually rule. So Zuma's still got one more trial to go, but Zuma's second in charge is a guy called Kagalema Moslanti. Now this guy had a high position in the ANC, but now if anything happens to Jacob Zuma, he's going to be the guy who will be the next in line as president. Now in my book, I quoted this particular guy, and he gave a speech in, in 2000 or 2001. And in his speech, he said the following, in order to destroy capitalism, you must first learn to hate it. So he's Jacob Zuma's second in charge. So it doesn't matter whether Jacob Zuma comes in or not. Jacob Zuma's buddies are already in power and they're already taking over. I wonder why they allowed Mbeki to survive as long as he did. I mean... Is it the case that they were just lying low, waiting for the right time? I think that they trusted Mbeki and they didn't really realize what he was up to. And they only really woke up when he fired Zuma. Because I was watching the Zuma thing quite intently. And when Shabir Sheikh was on trial, I was already starting to get the sense. Because in the trial, Shabir Sheikh's lawyer said that he thinks this trial is really about frying a bigger fish. And the bigger fish is Jacob Zuma. But nobody really took him seriously when he said that. But when Shabir Sheikh was found guilty and President Mbeki fired Jacob Zuma the very next day, you could see it caught the communists and Kosatu completely by surprise. Now, as I look back on it, I would say that President Mbeki was trying quietly to take the ANC and to break the ANC away from the tripartite alliance because the ANC is now the government of the country and you would think that he is the president and the ANC is running the government and you would think that with him and his close friends that, the, that these guys could pull, pull this off. But in actual fact, it shows the extreme power of Kasatu and the Communist Party, that those guys were able to come back, and Kusatu was able to mobilize the people to get back into the structures, re-infiltrate, and take them over and start turning people, you know, turning people's loyalties and stuff. And these guys did it in under two years. It's actually a very amazing thing that these guys pulled off. 
And so the thing that we're looking for in the future is eventual outright nationalization of businesses, the monopolization of the most strategic minerals by the government. And, I mean, Zuma, I would imagine he has close ties to China, to Russia, to other communist or terrorist regimes. Is, is, do you know anything about that? That I don't know. By the way, I must tell you, while we were talking about Stratfor, Zuma actually was invited to go and chat to the guys at Stratfor. And I saw a report that they were very impressed by him. <laughs> oh, my goodness. So I thought to myself, oh, God, he probably hoodwinks them. I was uh, at a, a conference, two-day conference on North Korea and the problem of North Korea acquiring nuclear weapons some years ago. And I met the Stratfor Asia analyst, and I, I don't remember his name. I don't want to mention his name, but but I uh, I mentioned in passing, you know, the armaments of China and China arming North Korea and you know, that we had a future security problem there with China, and he just completely poo-pooed the idea that there was any kind of threat from China. He uh, he said, no, the Chinese are our trading partners, and, and there's there's not any real possibility of conflict, future conflict with China. And I said, well, what about all the research, the things that uh, Bill Gertz at the Washington Times has revealed? I mean, Gertz has revealed massive Chinese espionage and spying and getting U.S. technology to build weapons using commercial technology that has uh, military applications. And uh, his response to me was to refer to the fact that the Moonies own the Washington Times and that... Uh, that you have to consider the source and it's not reliable. When w Those of us who have uh, followed news know that Bill Gertz is the leading yes. uh, national security journalist in the United States. His stories have always checked out. Yes. Uh, his information's good as gold. Uh, but, but it was just to dismiss it. And um, I, I was kind of baffled by it, but I'm not. These guys are academics. They're from the American Academia. And in American Academia, the training that they get and the viewpoint they get is sort of it's hard to describe. It's a it's a mixture of soft left, sometimes hard left uh, optimism about you know the long term prospects for peace and and global economic growth, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. And it's it is not realistic as to what's really happening out there. You know, Jeff, these guys have got no idea what goes on in a country like Zimbabwe. You know, Mugabe mobilizes the youngsters. He has effectively got national service for youngsters. He doesn't put them in the army. He puts them in the militia. And they run around and they physically assault members of the opposition. They murder them. They indoctrinate people. They threaten people. You know, that goes on day in and day out. And even in South Africa, organizations like Kasatu are not to be joked about. I noticed lots of people, lots of people, journalists in this country as well, were mocking Kasatu and, and uh, Zwelin Zima Vavi when he said, you know, that they must take back the ANC. And I listened to this and I thought to myself, you know, this guy means business and, and he's got he's got clout. He can make it happen on the ground. And I'm telling you, what I saw was flipping amazing. These guys have got the muscle and the will to do it. And people forget what these guys can pull off. By the way, about China, I must mention that, you know, the greatest Chinese success in, in Southern Africa is Robert Mugabe because he was sponsored by the Chinese. Mm -hmm. People forget that. And um, the Chinese are still floating around here in Africa. And I, I don't know if I sent you a piece by Eben Barlow, uh, who you interviewed a time back. Yeah. But he mentioned that there are people in Africa, senior people that he knows, that have said that they're not too keen 
on having America here in Africa. They don't like the way the Americans deal with them. They say that America seems to twist their arm and they don't like that. Mm. They, they prefer the Chinese style. They say the Chinese are much nicer to them. And did you know that Africa Command, that the American government wants to put in Africa, that there's not a single African country that has said AFRICOM can put their base there. Not even Botswana, which I used to think was America's closest ally in Africa. Not one African nation wants AFRICOM here. That's interesting. You know, I, a journalist a few years ago who'd been going through Africa uh, told me that the Chinese were building a submarine base in Namibia. And, of course, Namibia it was taken over by a Marxist-Leninist revolutionary group some years back. Yes, Swapa. Uh, have you heard about this submarine base? That's interesting that you mention that. I heard a rumor of something along those lines years ago, but I've not heard anything further. But I've sent you a story today about South Africa uh, that, that came out in, in one of the most highly respected engineering uh, magazines in South Africa. They did a story about South Africa secretly trying to acquire a spy satellite from Russia. Hmm. And wow. it came out that somebody in this Russian civilian space agency said something and shot his mouth off and that's how people realized that South Africa was busy with something with the Russians. There was some kind of uh, a bit of a fallout between the Russians and the South Africans about the satellite because apparently the satellite was going to be launched by a Russian submarine into space. And we know nothing about it. You know, Jeff, there are strange things that happen that you only hear about long after the time. Yeah, you know, you mentioned that uh, launching a satellite from a submarine. You know, You know, the Germans gave the Russians the technology, technology we don't even have, to launch satellites from submarines. Huge. It's, uh, it, is, wow. it, is a, no, it is amazing stuff. And then this was back in the 90s they started, uh, they were working on this. And I think the first launch was 99, I'm, I'm trying to remember. But it was, uh, it was big news at the time, although most people just ignored it. They didn't pay any attention. I never even heard of it. So the Germans did this first. Uh, well, the Germans had the technology. And they worked with the Russians and with Russian submarines to be able to do this. So, I mean, that's an amazing thing to launch a satellite from a submarine. It's, uh, of course, the Russians have very big submarines. I saw a story on one of the, I think it was the Discovery Channel some months back, where they were talking about an American company that had ships and platforms, and it could launch a satellite from out at sea. But in order to do so, they had to build something it was almost akin to like an oil drilling platform out at sea that they could launch from. Mm -hmm. But I mean, if the Russians can do it from a mere submarine, I mean, then their technology is even more advanced. Well, of course, as the Russian submarines are, are much uh, much larger than oil platforms. The Russians have submarines that are almost as big as World War II battleships. Wow. Jan, uh, my, my guest, uh, Jan Lemprecht, do you have any closing comments now? We're, we're running out of time. Jeff, I think the main thing is that the worst is yet to come, my friend. Huh. And I think everything you've seen in South Africa until now is really just light entertainment. I hmm. think the next 10 years is going to be rough. Yeah, and perhaps rough for the entire world, too. 
Well, I want to thank you for being on the show, and, and, and I want people to visit AfricanCrisis.org, your website, and AfricanCrisis.co.za. I want to thank you for being on the show. It's been a pleasure, Jeff. You're listening to the Jeff Nyquist Radio Show with your host, Jeff Nyquist. Some radio stations are just noise and chatter. WIBG 1020 AM is radio with a passion and purpose. From early in the morning to Grossman Afternoons, Chuck Fetson Sports Saturdays, and Dan Klein South Jersey Insider. WIBG 1020, the area's first choice, plugging you into life. And now once again, here's your host of the Jeff Nyquist Radio Show. Well, we've heard from our guest, Jan Lemprecht, the situation in Africa, but it's not really so different from the situation in many other countries. The situation which socialism, which was supposedly defeated 20 years ago or 18 years ago when the Soviet Union collapsed, is really in resurgence. It didn't die. It didn't go away. It isn't that the market automatically has, has triumphed. The reality is, is that socialism is still with us, and it's still politically organized in its winning battles. I am Jeff Nyquist. I hope you'll join me next week for another edition of the Jeff Nyquist program. Jeff, I think the main thing is that the worst is yet to come, my friend. And I think everything you've seen in South Africa until now is really just light entertainment. I think the next 10 years is going to be rough. And I must tell you, Jeff, I want to say for the record that I think 2007, 2008 will be watershed years in the history of South Africa because from this time onwards, we are taking a new path and the path from here onwards is going to be downwards even faster than anything we've had until now. In fact, the last the last couple of years, we can say, were relatively good, given what the ANC is, but what's lying ahead is really scary. Yeah, hi, this is Damon Wilson, formerly Lamont of Sanford and & Son, and when I'm in Atlantic City, I always turn on WIBG 1020 Life Radio. WIBG 1020, Ocean City, Summers Point, Atlantic City, South Jersey's first choice for Christian news talk. We're plugging you into life. From the Jeff Nyquist Studios on California's North Coast and from our flagship broadcast facilities at WIBG 1020, Atlantic City, Suburban Philadelphia's number one news talk station, you've been listening to the Jeff Nyquist Radio Show. We invite you to join us again next week at the same time. In the meantime, please visit Jeff's website at jrnyquist.com. Again, that's jrnyquist.com. Thank you for listening.